Well, last week as we began looking in Psalm 63, I had us begin the message by noticing the few words that are written before verse 1 where it says a Psalm of David when he was, uh, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And I said that it's believed by many that this Psalm was penned whenever David was running from Absalom who was seeking to take his life, who was seeking to steal the kingdom from David. And we all know that Absalom was the son of David, and so this was a time in his life that uh, God used to get his attention. We looked in verses 1 and 2 of last week, or last week we looked at verses 1 and 2, where David declared, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. And what we watched last week take place in the life of David was this. He was a man who had been very passive in his walk with God. He was a man who had been very passive in his relationship with the Lord, but as a result of this crisis, it brought him to a point of passion. He was now crying out to God as he had not done in a long time. He was now seeking the Lord in ways that he had not sought him in quite some time, and he was desiring to see the power of God work in his life as he had not seen him work in a long time. And I tried to show us that the same thing happens in our lives so many times that we get very passive in our relationship with the Lord. And we can sit here and act like it doesn't happen, but it happens to all of us. We grow very passive in our relationship with the Lord, And it's unfortunate, but it takes many times some kind of a crisis in our lives to get that passion back in our heart and in our life like we once had. It takes that crisis to get us crying out to God and recognizing that God and God alone is our God. It takes us a crisis to begin hungering and thirsting for Him as we once did. And it takes a crisis for us to desire the power of God to be made manifest in our life as we've known it in the past. And I said last week, and I just want to say one more time this morning, The pattern that you see in David's life is this. He was a man who was passive in his walk with God, who became passionate in his walk with God. But once the crisis subsided and once the crisis got back to a normal operating point, David once again slipped back into a passive relationship with the Lord. And so many times, if we're not careful, that's the exact same cycle that we find ourselves in. We're passive. Then something comes along and it disrupts our world and we recognize, well, God, I need you and God, I I need you to work and God, I'm asking you to do something great on my behalf. And while the passion is there, what happens so many times is this, the crisis begins to resolve itself. We begin to get back into that normal routine, that normal state of mind that we enjoyed before the crisis. And if we're not careful, we'll slip right back into that passive attitude and that passive spirit with the things of God. And that says much about our spiritual maturity if we live on this roller coaster of spiritual passion with passivity and passion and passivity. There ought to be some consistency in our walk with God. There ought to be some consistency in our walk with God. It should not take crisis in our lives to get us to be passionate about watching God work in our life. And with that said, this morning we're going to continue... Before we do, I want us to think about a couple of things. I've probably mentioned this in times past. It's something that we all know. It's something we all understand. And it's something that we come to realize far too early in life. But that is this, that life is filled with disappointments. Life is filled with disappointments. Not one person in this church 
has escaped disappointment, not even a child. See, a child would experience disappointment in a manner similar to this. Their birthday is coming up or a special day is coming up and they're excited because of their birthday. They're excited because of the special event that they're going to be the the participant of and they're going to possibly be the center of attention in. And so as this big day is coming up, the plans are in place, everything is established, everything is good to go. They're going to go swimming for their birthday. They're going to go to the park, whatever it may be. And as that day arrives, the weather begins to roll in. The clouds begin to set. The clouds begin to form. And you can tell it won't be long before the clouds are going to break forth that, and, and allow that rain to, to come. And, and, and it's pretty soon that all the plans that were established for that day, they've now been changed or they've now been canceled. And that poor child's little heart has been disappointed. It happens to him, doesn't it? Many of us who are parents have dealt with the disappointed child who finally realizes this child at school doesn't like me. They're okay with some people not liking them. They're okay with certain classmates not liking them. But, but I think all of us who have raised children or who are still in the process of raising children have dealt with that child who is hurt and, and disappointed that they don't like me. What's not to like about me, Mom? What's not to like about me, Dad? I mean, I can't help it that I've got this take-charge personality that's just who I am. That's called being bossy, honey. And people don't like that. But nonetheless, they're disappointed. Nonetheless, they are hurt. And when we see our children hurt and when we see our children disappointed, what do we try to do as parents? Well, many times, because we're loving of our children and we're loving toward our children, we try to scoop in and help them with their outlook, don't we? We, we try to swoop in and help them with their outlook and, and to help them with their attitude. And we, and we try to console them. And we try to tell them, we'll remake this birthday party or we'll, we'll redo the birthday party. We'll, we'll, we'll reschedule it, honey. Don't worry. We're, we're going to get this taken care of. And we say everything that we can to try to help them understand that there are lots of children out there who want to be their friend, and you don't need to worry about this particular child who doesn't want to. It's amazing, is it not, how we try to, to come in and comfort them and let them know that everything will be okay? Sometimes it helps, and sometimes it doesn't. Because even children have a will, do they not? And if a child chooses to pout, and if a child chooses to sulk, and if a child chooses to have a bad attitude, they can do it. No matter the words that a parent may say to them. Now, I say all that this morning to illustrate the point that in life, disappointments come. It starts at a young age, and they come all through life, do they not? The disappointments continue to roll in. I don't care who we are. I don't care what stage of life we are in. The disappointments and the hurts continue to take place. Now, this morning, as we think about that, I want us to think about David again. From what the scholars say and from what the scholars suggest, David is the king of Israel at the time of this writing. And David is running for his life from his own son who seeks to kill him and to steal the kingdom from him. I would suspect that even though David was the king of Israel at this time, 
to know that his children or his child was pursuing him, seeking to kill him and to steal the kingdom from him, I would have to assume that David, even though he's a king at that moment, he could honestly say, you know what? This disappoints me. Hello? This is disappointing to me. This hurts me as a father. This hurts me as a dad. I think all of us who are parents have at some point dealt with a child who, who kind of had an attitude. Maybe your children never have had an attitude, but on occasion all three of my children have had attitudes at separate times. And, and, and I understand that that's part of parenting, and I understand that that's part of trying to raise children and to help them with their attitudes. And, and, and let's be honest, sometimes it makes us mad to have to deal with the attitude of our children. We say things like this, you will not talk to me that way. You will not act that way toward me or toward your mother or toward your dad. You will not roll your eyes. Let's just be very honest. Sometimes we get mad. But sometimes the way our children respond to us and act toward us it doesn't just make us mad. It hurts us. Have you ever just been very disappointed in the behavior of your children? Have you looked at the actions of your children and said something like this? They know better and they're doing it anyway. It hurts and it disappoints and it bothers us. I say that to remind us that David was no different. He's dealing with a child, again, who wants to try to steal the kingdom from him, who would be more than happy to take his own life. I think it's fair to say that in the midst of all this, David may have had some anger issues, but at the same time, I think David would have to be overwhelmed with this sense of disappointment and this sense of hurt and this sense of betrayal of something like this. Why would my son want to do this to me? And as you read through the Psalms and as you read through the story of David, here's what you know. David was not a man who would shy away from expressing his thoughts and his emotions. When David felt like crying out to the Lord, he was more than happy to cry out to God, was he not? Whenever David wanted to, wanted to see someone die, he was more than willing to say, Lord, why don't you kill him and just wipe him out and just remove him from the face of the earth? Knowing that David was never shy to express his emotions, this psalm really took on a new meaning for me this week as I began to study it and to develop the thoughts and, and, and to see how David is going to respond to this because in the midst of the disappointment, in the midst of the pain, here's what we're going to discover. David is not going to cry out in anger. He's not going to cry out in anguish. He's not going to cry out in pity or in, or in self-pity or, or anything of that nature. No, if you notice in verse number 3, the last part of the verse, notice what David declares. He says, my lips shall praise thee. In the midst of his disappointment, in the midst of his hurt, David said in verse number 3, my lips shall praise thee. Notice what he said in verse number 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. David is saying, I'm going to praise you. And he says in verse number 4, I will lift up my hands in thy name. He says in the last part of verse number 5, And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. He says in the last, or he says in verse number 7, he says in, in the last part, he said, Will I rejoice? And in verse number 11, he says, But the king shall rejoice in God. Isn't that amazing? 
In verses 3 down through verse 11, he says on five different occasions, six different occasions, that in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this storm, in the midst of this difficulty, as David's passion for God has been renewed and revived, here is what David declares. Rather than crying out in pain, rather than crying out in sorrow, rather than crying out in anguish, I am going to rejoice and I am going to sing your praises and I am going to bless you. It's quite the statement, is it not? Lord, in the midst of my disappointment and Lord, in the midst of my hurt, I will praise you and I will bless you and I will lift up my hands in thy name and I'm going to praise thee with joyful lips and this king shall rejoice in God. Kind of makes you wonder. Who came alongside David in the midst of this disappointment, in the midst of this hurt? It makes you wonder who came along beside him and said something like this. Now, now, David, it'll all be okay. David, don't worry, it's going to be fine. David, don't worry, everything's going to work out. David, don't worry, God's got this under control. See, it makes me wonder who did that because the scripture gives no indication that anyone did do that. It's almost as though David finds himself in a position again that he had been in years prior where David had to encourage himself in the Lord. It's as though David had to kind of suck it up and be a man and say, okay, now in the midst of this disappointment, in the midst of this hurt, in the midst of this pain, I've got one of two options here. I can either cry out to God in anguish and despair and, and tell God everything that I'm feeling from a, a negative standpoint, or, or I can take this opportunity and to declare, I will rejoice and praise and, and sing and, and I'm going to lift up mine hands. Listen, please. It's as though David had to decide for himself, what am I going to do in the midst of this? And it's as though David had to pull from his own knowledge and understanding of who God was because there was not someone coming along beside him saying, Now, now, David, it'll be fine. It took some maturity on David's part, did it not? Amen. To say, I will rejoice. Some appear to be having a problem with that this morning. So we're going to talk about this for a couple of moments. What was it that David pulled from? What was it that David looked to as that source of encouragement in the midst of very disappointing and difficult times? Well, notice in verse number 3, David references the loving kindness of God. He says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. I want us to think about this word kindness for just a moment. What is kindness? Well, it's compassion. It's a good work done. It's goodness being bestowed upon someone or something else. 
But David did not just say, because thy kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. He said, because thy loving kindness or thy tender kindness is better than life. I didn't ask Susie if I had permission to say this, so I'm going out on a limb here. I think many of you who know Susie would say something like this, in general, she is a kind person. In general, she is good toward people. In general, she, she does kind things toward people over the years that we've been married. On many occasions, I have seen Susie manifest kindness in situations where my flesh did not want to manifest kindness. There have been times I've tried to discourage her from manifesting kindness because certain people didn't deserve the kindness. Now understand, please, it is a good thing to be kind. But there is a vast difference between kindness and loving kindness or kindness and tender kindness. See, many people over the years that I've known Susie have been the recipient of her kindness. But there are few people in comparison who have been the recipient of her loving kindness. See, if you think about this, there is kindness that is motivated out of the mentality that this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do that which I should in this particular situation. But there is also a motivation for kindness that finds itself sometimes rooted in this. I love you and I, because of my love for you, I want to be kind towards you and I want to be tender towards you or tender with you. So over the years in which I've seen Susie manifest kindness to so many people, I can truly say this, for as much kindness as she has bestowed upon so many others, she has shown very seldom the same kind of kindness toward them that she has shown toward our children. Because there's a love there that she has for the kids that she does not have for everyone else. You understand this, please? It's a different kind of a heart. It's a different kind of a spirit. It's a different kind of an attitude behind loving kindness and tender kindness compared to just that of kindness. I like it when she's kind to me. But I like it when she's tender kind to me. I like it when she is loving kind to me. Because it is a whole different set of feelings and a whole different set of emotions and motivation behind it. Now notice, please, here is David in the midst of disappointment, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of difficulty. And he says, so long as I can, my lips are going to praise thee. Why? Because, Lord, you're not just kind to me, but you are tender and loving in your kindness toward me. It's a far different kind of kindness. Lord, I have been the recipient of your gentle, tender, loving kindness in my life. And because of that, my lips shall praise thee. Notice what he said in verse number 7. He says, Because thou hast been my help. Because thou hast been my help. 
Remember the theme of the chapter has become in just these last few verses, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to raise my hands to you. Well, David, what would motivate you to do that? It's not just because of God's loving kindness in my life, but see, God has been my help in life. What does it mean to be a help? It means to be an aid. It means to be an assistant. It means to be someone who comes along and and just as the word says, helps out. We've all been recipients of help, have we not? I was thinking this week about some work that I got done here at the church. And in the midst of the entire process that I was getting work done here at the church, I I, I asked Nathan to come up here and, and help me. You know what Nathan did? He forsook what he was doing at the house. He came up here and of his own free will and of his own time, he helped out. And It's not that I couldn't have done what I did without him, but it made life so much easier just having him up here helping me. Now think about this before you answer. Could David make it through life without the Lord? Of course he could. Prior to David's existence, millions of people had gone through life without the Lord in their life. And since the life of David, billions of people have made it through life without God being in their life. But see, here's what David says. God, you are my God in verse number 1. And so he says in verse number 7, because thou hast been my help. God, you have been my aid. God, you have been my assistant. God, you have been one who has come alongside me throughout life. And God, you have been a help to me. Lord, even in the midst of this disappointment and lord even in the midst of this difficulty and even in the midst of this this crisis that i'm in i'm going to praise you because you have proven yourself to be a help in my life and then notice what he says in verse number seven as well he says therefore in the shadow of thy wings will i rejoice in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. What does it mean when David speaks of being in the shadow of his wings? Well, in Matthew chapter 23, we have Christ speaking, and he declares to Jerusalem that it was his desire to gather them under his wings like a hen does to her chicks to protect them. I'm not a farmer. I don't know how this works, but I've heard the stories and I've read the stories how in times of danger it would not be uncommon for a hen to try to gather the chicks underneath her wings so as to serve as a source of protection to them. The idea appears to be something like this, that, Lord, throughout my life you have served as a source of protection to me, and so, God, as I am in the shadow of thy wings, I am going to rejoice. David, what do you have to be happy about right now? David, what is it that's motivating you in the midst of this situation? What is it that is motivating you to rejoice and to sing praises and to to do such in your life? Seems like he'd say something like this. Do you know how good God's been to me? Do you know how much God has helped me? And been an aid in my life? And do you know how much protection he has given me throughout my life? 
Notice in verse number 9, he said this by way of protection, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes, but the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. You know what David was convinced of? He was convinced of this. Not only has God given protection, he will continue to give protection. So, David, how can you praise the Lord at this time? He's been good. Far better than I deserve. He's been my help. He's been my aid. He's been my assistant all through these years. He's been my protection. And he will continue to protect. Now, this morning, I'd like us to think about something. If children know disappointment, then you and I also certainly know what it means to know disappointment. Trust me, no one's exempt. I shared with someone this week, not that they didn't know this already, I just made the statement, no one has a perfect life. And by no one, I mean no one. I went on to say, just because I was talking and they didn't shut me up, I said, Susie and I don't have a perfect life. We don't have a perfect family. We don't have a perfect marriage. There's nothing about my life that is perfect. No one in this world has a perfect life. Which means this, every one of us are going to know difficulties and every one of us is going to know disappointments. And here's one of the things that I don't like about adulthood sometimes. As an adult, you don't always have someone swooping in, like a mom or a dad, saying, now, now, Kyle, it's going to be okay. As an adult, you don't always have someone swooping in, saying, let me be your source of encouragement, and let me be your source of strength. See, sometimes as an adult, the disappointments come, the difficulties come, and as a result of the disappointments and the difficulties, here's what every one of us have dealt with at times, and that's discouragement. Can we identify with this at all? Amen. The discouragements come. And as the discouragements come, and it seems as though the friends don't come by way of encouragement, one of two things has to happen. We have to choose whether or not we're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord or if we're going to allow ourselves to wallow in the problems in the moment. I'm just saying... 
when disappointments come in my life, and they do, and I'll say more about that in just a moment, but when the disappointments in my life come, I have to choose. What am I going to do? Am I going to encourage myself in the Lord, or am I going to allow the discouragement to grow to a point of despair, to a point of depression, to a point where no one wants to be around me? What am I going to do? Well, based upon the knowledge that I have of the Lord, kind of like the knowledge that David had of the Lord, I really don't have much justification in allowing myself to get discouraged to a point of despair and depression. I'm going to say that again. Based upon my knowledge of who the Lord is, I don't have much justification to allow myself to get to the point of discouragement and despair and depression in my Christian life. See, if I allow myself to get discouraged and to come to this point of despair and to the point where I'm now depressed, it's because I am not acting upon what I know of God. See how simple that is? Because, see, here's what I could do if I chose to. I could do what David did and say this, I am going to remember, even in the midst of this disappointment, even in the midst of this difficulty, I am going to choose to remember God's loving kindness in my life. The other day I was driving down the road. And there was a battle in the mind taking place. It was me, my car, the road, and my thoughts. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have anyone to bounce things off of. Just me, the car, the road, and my thoughts. My lips were not praising the Lord. And my soul was not rejoicing. And as I was driving, it was as though the Lord said, Why don't you think on these things? And it was as though the Lord gave me the song that we're all familiar with Count your blessings. Well, I didn't want to. But I began counting my blessings. I know you don't care what all I said. I'm just going to share with you a couple of them. But I said, Lord, thank you for good rest last night. Because I like good rest. I said, Lord, thank you for letting me wake up this morning. I didn't have to. I said, Lord, let, uh, thank you for letting me wake up in a home. Because I didn't have to. I said, Lord, thank you 
that I could take a warm shower today. Thanked him for a warm shower? Yeah, because I've had a couple of cold showers and I didn't care for them. I said, Lord, thank you that whenever it came time to get dressed, I could walk to a closet where there were a whole lot of clothes for me to choose from. I said, Lord, thank you that I have a car to drive right now. And then it dawned on me. I said, Lord, thank you that I can see, that I can hear, that I could walk, that I can think and express thought. Lord, thank you for the breakfast that Susie and I were able to enjoy with each other this morning. And I tried to thank the Lord for everything I could think of. I don't know how it happened. But by the time I got done thinking about God's goodness in my life, just in the last 18 hours of that day, my thought process was completely different. I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just here to say and to remind you I'm living proof that when we choose to remember God's loving kindness in our life, we cannot help but praise Him. Amen. You know why we fail to praise Him so many times? Because we don't want to stop and remember how blessed we are and how good God has been to us. We'd rather focus on all the negatives. We'd rather focus on everything that's wrong. We'd rather focus on everything that everybody else is doing wrong. And why can't everyone just measure up to our standards for them? Why can't they? And, and, and see, the problem is, is, is when we get selfish and everything revolves around us, it's impossible to praise Him. But whenever I stop and think of God's goodness in my life, you can't help but say, Lord, thank you. And these lips are going to praise you. And I'm going to rejoice in you. Something else that will motivate us to praise the Lord when we're discouraged and when we're at this point of despair would be to remember the number of times God has been the help in your life that you needed. So we can go through life on our own. We can certainly do that. There are millions and billions of people doing it right now. And if you and I choose to try to make it through life without him, we certainly can. But I don't know about you, but my life sure does go a lot better when he serves as my help and my aid. And he's alongside me for the journey. I mean, could I get things done? Could I do things without God helping in my life? Well, of course I could. Man, life's so much better with Him. I mean, just think about it for a moment. For a moment, how much of a help has God been in your life? And we still want to justify our sour attitude. We still want to justify our despair. We still want to justify our inability to sing. We still want to justify our inability to smile and, 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 and have a, a good countenance about us. We want to justify it. Now, hold on. Has God helped you? Amen. Then get over it. 
Whatever it is that's keeping you from smiling right now and keeping you from enjoying life, get over it. Otherwise, we look like the little child who refuses to be consoled when things don't go their way. The other thing that would kind of motivate us if we wanted to let it, to rejoice in the midst of difficulty and disappointment would be this. God's continued protection in our lives. Your life probably is nothing like mine, but over the course of my life, I can see plenty of times where had God not protected me, things would be a whole lot different than they are right now. Now, again, that's probably not true of you, just a few of us. Because you were so smart, you didn't really need much protection. So I don't know about you, but... uh, I needed protected I needed protection from my own stupidity. So well, you shouldn't call yourself stupid. Well if you had known me then, you'd come to the same conclusion. He's protected me physically when I could have been hurt a lot worse or could have been killed. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, you know it's only by the grace of God that physically you are still here today, able to even walk and do what you're doing. He has protected me physically. He has protected me mentally. When my mind wanted to go places that it didn't want to go, He has protected me spiritually. When I wasn't exactly making the best spiritual decisions, by His grace... He protected me from some of the spiritual mistakes I could have made. He has protected me from people who want to hurt me. So you're just being dramatic now. No, I'm not. There are people out there who want to hurt us. And I don't mean physically necessarily, but maybe emotionally or maybe mentally they want to hurt us. And somehow God has shielded us from that and God has protected us from that. He has protected me from the attacks of Satan in my life because if it were up to me to resist Satan on my own, I know what would happen. He's protected my family when it was clear that I was not capable of doing such. I don't know about you, but I look back over the course of the, my life and, and I see the number of times I've done things where I've said something like this. It's only by the grace of God that I didn't kill one of my kids on accident. Right. Well, that was stupid. What was I thinking there? That was dumb. What, what was I even thinking? How, how did that happen? Good grief. Right. That could have been me, but by the grace of God, he protected me again from myself as it relates to the family. Do you realize how much I've got to be thankful for just in God's protection in my life? Well, David, how in the world can you declare over and over and over that you're going to praise the Lord, that you're going to rejoice and you'll lift up your hands? How can you do this? Well, God's been good. And you know, God's been my help. And God's protected me from so much. 
What do I need to look to whenever I'm discouraged? What do I need to look to when I'm disappointed? What do I need to look to when Satan would try to heap that sense of despair on me? I need to remember this. You know, God's been far better to me than I could ever deserve. And his kindness has been loving kindness. It's been tender kindness. It's been an amazing measure of kindness in my life. And God has helped me in so many ways that I couldn't begin to explain today. And God has protected me from far more than I even began to know. So what about you? What do you have to praise God for today? Well, if your response is nothing, then you're not being honest. If your response is something like this next week, I don't have any reason to be praising God. I have every right to be discouraged and depressed right now. If, if that's your response, please know you're justifying your actions because you don't want to reflect on God's goodness. God's help, and God's protection. You and I really have no justification for despair and discouragement and depression, no matter the disappointments and difficulties in life. We have no justification for it unless we choose to justify it and refuse to get happy. It's where you at right now. So I think some of you, this is registered with you today, and you're like, yeah, that's right, I, I think so. I'm just looking at the countenance of some people, and you're saying, yep, I think that's right. And others of you are looking at me like, shut up. You don't have to smile. You can be as sour as you want for as long as you want. You can. But if you'd like to move on in life and get past some of the garbage, think about God's goodness. Think about God's help. And think about God's protection. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to just take a page from David's life. I know that he did not do everything right. I know that he did not finish